and it's good to see you all here this morning. Yeah, yeah, it's packed house for the 10 o'clock. Uh, you may not be aware, we also have an 815 service and an 1145 service that is starting to become a little bit crowded as well, but if you're feeling a little claustrophobic in here, invite you to one of those too, but I uh, love seeing the packed out 10 o'clock service. Glad you're all here if you're visiting with us, especially thankful for you. Um, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Jason Williams. I have the honor and privilege of serving as lead pastor here at the church, um, along with uh, the other elders in our church. Uh, we're, we're honored to have you, and, uh, and I consider this place my church home, even if I wasn't on staff here. So, so hopefully you've been welcome this morning. Um, a couple things. It is good to be back after being gone two Sundays. Um, was privileged to be a part of a pilot trip to the Philippines to do some uh, some investigative work and some exploration work and to do some planning for our team that's going back this next summer. And so um, two weeks from today, uh, we're actually going to have a meet and greet on Sunday afternoon, two weeks from today. And the Rathbun family, our family that's been on mission in the Philippines, they're on furlough now back in the States. They'll be here and, uh, and we'll get to hear about how things have been going with them. And we'll tell you more about the trip that, that I was privileged to be a part of as well during that meet and greet. So two weeks from today, we'll hit that. Um, we're going to be in Matthew 25 this morning, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25. If you want to go ahead and turn there, go ahead and do that. Um, if you have your, your all-in booklet, the sermon notes are on page 20. If you like to write sermon notes, that's where those are. Um, just a couple things while you turn there. Um, as you've already heard, the all-member meeting is this Tuesday evening at 6.30. A couple things about that. First of all, it's, we probably need to change the name, but um, this is a time for us to get together as a church for everybody who calls Solid Rock their home, especially the members, uh, to come together. Let's talk about what's happening behind the scenes. Let's go over finances, attendance, building, all those sorts of things, but we also spend time just sharing how God's working in our lives and share testimonies during that time. This will be one of our shorter all-member meetings, okay, you can hold me to that, because afterwards... We are going to have a reception for Brian Lamb and his family. This is uh, Brian Lamb's last Sunday, our community missions pastor, before we send him off to Omni Fellowship, a church plant, to begin working there. And, uh, and, and he's sick today. So he's not even here on his last Sunday. So um, for a lot of you guys, it'll be your last chance to see him maybe in person for a while, uh, hug his neck, wish him well, pray over him and his family. So that's going to happen right after the all-member meeting this Tuesday. So all-member meeting at 6.30, and we should be at meet and greet by around 7.30 um, to do that. So I want to let you know that. Um, and then um, I think that's it for now. You ready to get into it? So, so we are kicking off our all-in refresh series today, so let me just explain that. First of all, if you're brand new here, okay, um, this is a journey we've been on now for a year as a church. We're, we're about halfway done, um, and this is more than raising funds and building buildings. As a matter of fact, if we get through this four-week series and you hear the words all in and you think new building or fundraiser, you've missed it completely, completely missed it. Now, those are necessary parts of the conversation but those things are simply tools to get to the end that God is calling us to, and that is more lives transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ. Now, as you can see in this service, not a lot of room left, right? So we are excited about what God is doing, but we believe he wants to do more in and through this church for this community. And so why are we doing all in again? Is it because we don't have enough money? That's not it at all. We brought in 
over $711,000 last year, which, which was incredible. Like it blew our expectations. We're on track right now after 12 months of all in to have brought in $750,000. That's, I mean, look around. This is a little church, right? And, and, and so God has just been so faithful and good. The reasons why we're doing this, A, we've got a lot of new families who've come on board who have no idea what it is, so we're going to walk through it together. B, we, we told you last year we were going to do this because, you know, it's hard to make a two-year commitment without knowing what's going to happen, what may change, and so this is a time to reevaluate. For some, uh, some families, it may be a time to make some adjustments and change um, that commitment, that's fine. For others, it'll be a time just to reaffirm what God spoke to you last year and just stay the course. But you know what? Those two reasons are actually um, not the primary reasons why we're doing this. We're doing this to remind ourselves of the main thing because we're prone to forget. We're prone to let our minds and hearts drift towards the tangible of buildings and money and forget that this is all about being all in to follow Christ wherever he would lead us individually and wherever he would lead us as a church to say, God, we'll trust you to do the impossible. We are all in. And that's what this is about. The focus this year for All In is going to be our mission. So we're going to focus a lot on what God has called us to do and less on the money and those kinds of things, okay? And so before we get to a place where we can really solidify our personal mission in life, the, our personal callings in life, we've got to answer the question, what is God's mission? What is God up to on the west side of Fort Worth? What is God up to in this church so that I can posture my life and align my life with his mission? So today, the sermon title is The Mission of God. And we're going to look at Matthew 25, a parable of Jesus that starts in verse 14. I think it's potentially one of the most undertaught and maybe even most misunderstood parables of Jesus. We'll, we'll talk through that for just a minute. And so when we talk about a parable, it's so important to understand what we're looking at, okay? So a parable is different from like allegory, where like if you're looking at an allegory, everything in the story has some kind of meaning and symbolism and oftentimes it's hidden and you've got to unpack it and unlock it parables aren't like that parables include characters and usually it's super obvious who the characters are right it's usually God and us and then there's this primary moral lesson coming out of it or truth coming out of it that's super simple to see and so oftentimes we misunderstand parables because we're looking too hard and we're trying to peel back the layers, looking for some hidden meaning, when, when actually the parable is meant to make a hard truth simple and easy to see and easy to understand. And so today we're going to start in verse 14 as Jesus begins to teach a parable. Verse 14, as he teaches on the kingdom of heaven, he says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, each according to his ability. And then he went away. Now there's the overview of the parable, and already we've learned most of what Jesus wants to teach you. We've got some characters. We've got a man who goes on a journey. Who is that representing? God. It's meant to be simple. 
Okay? The kingdom of heaven is like this. There's like a man going on a journey, and the man, this master or this landowner, this money owner, that's God. And then the other characters are the servants, that's us. Okay? So the characters are pretty easy to see. And then the theme has already kind of come out at us in this one word, entrusted. Let me, let me help you for just a little bit. If you're not sure what a talent is, um, that represents money. A talent was about 20 years wages, okay? So if you receive two talents, I mean, that'd be like a lifetime career. It's a lot of money. So this man goes on a journey, and, uh, and he hands to his servants different amounts of money. But the key word is entrusted. He entrusted it to them. He didn't just give it to them as an end-of-the-year bonus or a special gift. He entrusted it to them. And so what does that mean to be entrusted? And the word here in the Greek language means to literally to give something to someone with an intended purpose. Okay? So I was thinking this week about maybe just an illustration for that. And I don't know how many of you are old enough in the room to remember that um, before you got your driver's license, the thing to do was to go to the movies. Anybody from my generation remember that? Okay, so I grew up in, in Weatherford, W Town, out here to the west. And before we got our driver's license, before we were old enough to cruise Maine, the movie theater was where it was at. Because mom would usually drop us off, unchaperoned, right, to have some fun with the friends, watch a movie, and then we would go home. And there was a payphone outside the theater we would call mom from to come get us, and we had the phone number memorized in those special events where mom wouldn't let us go to the theater because maybe we were grounded. We would call the payphone to talk to our friends who were outside the movie theater. Some of you are laughing because you know, and you've probably even used that payphone. Now, before I would get out of the car, um, you see you could go watch a movie for, you know, $1.50 to 3 bucks, something like that. You'd get Coke and a popcorn, the whole deal for less than 10 bucks, right? So mom would hand you a 10, and she'd kick you out of the car, and she'd give you the rules, and then you would go off to the movie. Now, mom didn't actually just give you that $10 bill as a gift. She entrusted it to you because... Th- The $10 bill had purpose, right? She intended on you to use that to pay for your movie, your popcorn, your Coke. Maybe go back for some more Coke or some candy and then have a quarter left over to call her when it was all done, right? She entrusted it to you with an intended purpose. You got to enjoy it according to her purpose, right? Now, what what would happen if, if at the end of the night you called mom and she came and picked you up, and she said, well, did you have a good time? You had a great time. It was so much fun. Awesome. Well, how was the movie? Well, I don't know. Well, what do you mean you don't know? Well, I didn't go to the movie. Um, I took the $10 you gave me, and I, and I walked about four blocks down the road to a restaurant, had this great dinner. It was so awesome, Mom. Thank you. How is she going to respond? I know my mom, right? All of a sudden, we're, we're on the side of the road. We're no longer driving. What do you mean you didn't go to the movie? Now, why? Because mom intended that I use that money in a specific way. What would have happened if I'd have got back in the car afterwards and she said, how was the movie? And I said, I don't know. I didn't go to the movie. I still have your $10. I just hung out with my friends outside and didn't actually go in. My mom would have said, I don't think so. Privileges revoked along with your $10 bill, right? Why? Because it's not that mom didn't want me to have a good time. It's that she entrusted to me that $10 to use in a specific way. And that's the idea of entrusted here. So this this man goes on a journey, and he entrusts 
to his servants different amounts of money. It has an intended purpose behind it. Now, so important, this, this principle I'm going I'm to lay out right now is so important for us to understand. And I actually, I, I went through the Bible this week looking at examples of what I'm about to tell you. And I had like dozens of verses lined up. And then I realized we wouldn't have time this morning to go over it all. So I'm going to shrink it down to one example from Psalm 24. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 24. He declares in verse 1, The earth... The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. What's the driving principle here? It all belongs to God. The servant with five talents didn't own those five talents. Who did the five talents belong to? The man. The servant with two talents, those talents belong to the man. The servant with one talent, those, that talent belonged to the man. Over and over again, the scriptures will remind us that we don't own anything. Think I'm wrong? Try to take it with you. This is my house. This is my TV. This is my man cave. This is my car. This is my job. This is my money. This is my family. This is mine. God says, really? Try to take it with you, and we'll see who it belongs to, right? See, that's the point of all of this, this principle. If you're taking notes, everything I have belongs to God, and I have been entrusted. I've been entrusted with God's resources according to what? My ability. Now, that's an important part of understanding this. Why did he give five to one servant and one to the other? He entrusted them according to what? Their ability. Now, if, if you're like me, all of us would like to be entrusted with a little bit more. Right? You know, he's going to turn away a little raise, pay raise here, a little bonus here. But, but the reality is we have been entrusted according to our ability. I always say this. Show me the man who's dead broke at $30,000 a year, and I'll show you the man who will be dead broke at $300,000 a year. Why? Because it's not the amount of money, it's his ability to manage the money, right, that causes him to be dead broke. And so these, these servants were entrusted based on their ability. And so have we been. Now, verse 16, we'll pick this back up. And hear what happens now. Verse 16 says this. He who had received the five talents, he went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. And, and so also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now we're already supposed to kind of see a contrast here between the two servants who invested and made versus the servant who went and hid. Let's talk for a minute about God's intended purpose for our resources. What does God intend you, for you to do with the things he has entrusted you to do? You know, for these servants, they knew what they were supposed to do with the money. Whether they did it or not, it's a different story, but they knew what they were supposed to do. I think a lot of us don't even know. What are we supposed to do with all this? 
right? Can I go on vacation? Is it right or wrong to put in a swimming pool? Can I enjoy a movie every now and then and a date night? Are those things okay? Let's walk through some things together. First and foremost, let's talk about the very first thing that God calls us to do with our resources, and that is to bring back to him. Luke chapter 11, there's a really helpful conversation where Jesus is talking to Pharisees, these religious leaders. Now, keep in mind in biblical times, there wasn't a whole lot of currency flowing. Most of the the financial transactions um, were done with like trading and bartering things. Like I've got some corn, I'll trade you my corn for a sheep, and there's a whole lot like Catan. Any Catan players out there? Yeah. Bartering and trading things. So a lot of the, the monetary system was based on goods. So when people would give back to God or pay taxes, they would do that with some type of produce or some type of livestock that they had acquired. And so Jesus is talking to these religious leaders in Luke 11. He says this to them, But woe to you Pharisees. And that's a, that's a warning when Jesus says that. For you tithe... Mint and rue and every herb, which was normal, right? They would bring 10% of their herbs and, and the things that they had to the, to the temple, the place of worship, to give back to God, and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. What Jesus is saying is, hey, you're going through the actions the right way. The problem is your heart's in the wrong place. Now, you... Go through the actions, but do it with the right heart motive here. Now, there's some debate in the modern-day church about whether or not the tithe is still in effect or if it's just generous giving, uh, because the New Testament doesn't talk about tithing as much as the Old Testament. Some would say it doesn't mention it at all, except we just read about it in the Gospel of Luke, right? So Jesus is saying, hey, yeah, tithe, but do it with the right heart motive. Now, once we get to the book of Acts, where the church launches and explodes, we don't hear about the tithe. We hear about generous giving. Like they were like going way over 10%, right, to, to be engaged in the mission of God. So regardless of which camp you land in, if you will, like the tithe or just generous giving, the point is still the same. A portion of what God has blessed us with is to be brought back to him. Now, not because God needs our money, it all belongs to him, but there's something that happens in our hearts when we do that, right? We're expressing gratitude. We're saying, hey, this came from you. We're bringing a portion back. We're saying, hey, I trust you to, 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 to provide for my family what we, what we need. And, and not only that, my heart is, is inclined to worship you. And this is one way that I get to do that. And so we bring back to God a portion of the resources he's blessed us with. That's one of his intended purposes for how he's blessed you. Now, let's talk about a second thing. Jesus gets cornered in the Gospel of Luke um, with the intent of, of causing him to mess up. And, uh, and so the, these guys come to Jesus, and they're like, hey, Jesus, we've got a question for you. We're just really wrestling with this in our hearts. We're not sure what to do. Um, should we be giving our money to God or to Caesar? And they think they're going to trip Jesus up because if he says, well, you should give it to God, then they're going to say, oh, okay, so it's okay to break the law and not pay Caesar? But if he says, no, you need to pay your taxes, they're going to say, oh, okay, so we, we give to Caesar, but not to God. And so Jesus answers them in Luke 20. And basically he says, flip me a coin. So he says, hey, show me a denarius, which is a, a coin. Show me a denarius. And then he asks the question, whose likeness and inscription does it have? So whose picture and name are on it? And they said, well, 
Caesar's, of course. He said to them, then, here's my answer, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. So Jesus is saying, it's not either or, it's both and. You bring a portion back to God and you meet your legal obligations and pay your taxes. Now, I, I hear Christians oftentimes talking about not wanting to pay taxes or trying to get out of paying taxes, and I'm all about deductions and getting that number down is to the smallest amount you legally can, but once you get to that small amount, you, you owe that money legally. And Jesus is saying, you should pay it. Now, I think that transcends into my credit card debt, my mortgage, my house payments. Those are legal agreements that I agreed to make, right? I agreed that if you loan me this money, I'm going to pay it back, and I should meet those legal obligations with my finances. So God's intended purpose for me is to bring a portion back to him. He also provides for me that I can pay my taxes and I can pay my legal obligations and pay off my my debt. What do we do with the rest of it? Got some left over here. What do we do with the rest of it? Uh, Malachi 3 is a a perfect place for us to go next. One, because Malachi 3 gets, um, gets misunderstood and mistaught. Malachi 3, if you're not familiar, this is the place where God says, test me in this. Bring the full tithe to the storehouse. See if I don't open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessing. And then someone will say, yeah, and and God will make you rich. It's not what he says, actually. I'm still waiting on that to happen. Let's look at what he says. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, talking about the tithe. Will man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, well, how have we robbed you? God answers, in your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Now, to understand that, people tithe most often with like grain and livestock and produce, so the Levites who lived there in the temple would live off of that, so there would be food for them to eat and live off of. But then he goes on to say, and thereby... Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more, what? Need. God's promise in this passage is not to make you wealthy. His promise is to provide what you need. What you need. Not always what you want, what you need. I've worked with Christian families um, who've, gone, ha, ha, who've looked at their finances and were trying to figure out what's, how to make all this work and realize, you know what? We bought too big of a house. We bought the house we wanted instead of the one we could afford. And so to get all this right and make it work, we need to sell our house. We had a family in our church do this last year. Let's sell our house, let's pay off debt, and let's get into something that, that completely satisfies our needs, maybe not what we want, but allows us to live within our means we have to understand that god has provided for you after you bring a portion back to him you meet your legal obligations use what's left to right to 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 live think about that like every time you go to costco or walmart or target and you shop for groceries and then you take those things back home and you do that thing that we used to what do you call it Um, cook and, uh, and when you're doing that, you're actually engaging in God's purpose for your resources. 
He intends for you to do that with a portion of what he's provided. Think about that. You go to the store and you have to buy some new jeans. You're, you're fulfilling what God intended you to do. You shouldn't feel guilty about that as long as it's what you need. Now, what happens if we do all that? Bring back a portion to God. We pay all of our legal obligations. The family's taken care of. My wife's car has tires on it. Um, my kids have clothes to go to school and shoes to wear. And we've got groceries. What if I still have some left over? What do I get to do with it? Enjoy it. Enjoy it. What do you mean by enjoy it? Well, you can save it. Some people enjoy that. You can save it. Invest it. Go on vacation. Give it away. Some people love being generous. Give it away. But the point is this, that, that God gives us right more than we need for what purpose? To enjoy it. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 was one of our key passages last year during the All In series. I'm going to look at just a couple verses with you. 2 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 10, we're reminded, He, this is God, who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So what we're getting at here is Paul says, like, if we give generously, trust in God, get, get ready, because God's going to actually give you more than you need. And then here's what he says. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce something. What will it produce? Thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. And Paul says, listen, when, when, when more comes in than what you need, don't necessarily go buy a bigger house and go further in debt. Enjoy it. Save some, invest some, go on vacation, spend some time with your family, go to the movies, go on date night. Have family date night? I mean, we, we put it in our budget, our family budget, to have a family date night every week. It's one night. As long as we've done what we're supposed to do with the rest of it, that money will be there. And we do Monday nights because there's a place we like to go where kids eat free on Monday nights. So it's like win-win. <laughs> but I consider that an investment into what God's called us to do. And guess what? We enjoy that. And it wells up in our hearts, thanksgiving to God. You don't feel guilty when you've got money left over and you enjoy it or you give to this or sponsor a compassion child or you go on vacation at Disney World. As long as what? We're, we're giving a portion to God. We're meeting our legal obligation. The family's taken care of. We're living within our means. If we have some left over, we enjoy it and we give thanks to God. So you put all this in a mathematical equation. You've got God's provision over here on this side equals a portion of that back to God. A portion of that, meet legal obligations. A portion of that supplies our needs, what we need. And then whatever's left, we enjoy and give thanks back to God. The problem is, the problem is very few of us actually operate according to that formula. What oftentimes happens is God's provision equals, the first thing that happens is our employer takes taxes out. So we go ahead and we meet that obligation right off the bat. And then we move over to paying the mortgage, buying groceries, all the things that we need. And then we move over to what do we, we need to enjoy. So we've got to do all this to enjoy. And if there's anything left over, then we bring back to God. And there's a couple problems there. 
First of all, we've, in that equation, we've lost sight of whose it is, haven't we? We've been misunderstood. We, we've misunderstood and thought that this was all ours, and if we get around to it, we'll give a little bit to God and forgotten. No, wait a second. He calls for the first fruits. Why? Because it's all his. It's all his. And what oftentimes happens, I know in my heart, in my life sometimes, and maybe in yours, we get to the end of the equation. If there's nothing left, we do one of two things. Either we go further into debt, right? And that's the sliding of the credit card. If you don't have the money and use your credit card, you're going in debt. Just simple math, okay? Simple math. Like this is, I have to teach my boys this all the time. Hey, dad, can we go buy a such and such? No, we can't. Or we, we don't have any money. We have money, but it's intended for something else. Well, don't you have a credit card? <laughs> yeah, I do have a credit card. You have to pay that back. It's debt. And so either we go further into debt or we just don't give it all. And we just cycle back around to paying our legal obligations, supplying what is needed, enjoying it. And, oh, man, I really wanted to give something to God this month, but we're going to do it next month. So we go back around. You see the cycle that happens? And that's why God calls for our first fruits. Bring a portion back to me. Meet your legal obligations. I've supplied what you need. Use it to buy groceries and yeah, supply the needs of your family. If you're finding that once you do that, there's nothing left to enjoy, sell your house and buy a smaller house so you can have some left over to enjoy, right? Trade your car in and get a smaller car payment so you can have some left over to enjoy. But don't rob, according to Malachi 3, from God, right, to make this equation work. Now, principle number two. There are four fill-in-the-blanks here. God expects us to invest everything he has entrusted to us for his mission through giving generously, giving generously to the church, living, it's the second one, within our means, giving, living within our means, meeting our financial obligations, and enjoying what's left. I did a blog on this, I think two years ago, about should Christians uh, have a swimming pool? You may have seen it or read it. Um, and, uh, and so the point is the same here. Yeah, give to God. Meet your legal obligations. Make sure your family has what they need. Like men, if your wives are driving to work on bald tires, you're not supplying the needs of your family. You need to get some new tires for your wife's car. But if in the end... You've got enough money to go on vacation or put in a swimming pool. Go for it if that's what you want to do, okay? And if you get to that point, you're like, I really want to do this, go on vacation, but we don't have enough left over, circle back around and make sure that you're living within your means so that you can afford to do those things. All right, let's finish the parable, verse 19. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. He's calling them to account for what they did. And he who had received five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I, 
I have made you two talents more. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But the master said to him, or answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I had not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. At my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given more and he, uh, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, this is where the parable oftentimes gets misunderstood. So we've got the two servants who, who did what the master had intended for them to do. Because he entrusted them. They did well. They brought it back. And he says two things to them. Well done, my good and faithful servant. He affirms them. And then he invites them to enter into his joy. Okay? But the one servant who didn't do what the master uh, had entrusted to him, he punishes. He takes from him and he punishes. Now, the point of the parable is not that God um, reaps where he doesn't sow or, or draw from places where he doesn't cast seed. That's just part of the storyline. right? Don't read too much into that. The point of the parable is that the servants knew, that's what the master said, you knew what I intended you to do with this money and you didn't do it. That's the point of the parable. I entrusted this to you with instructions, with purpose. You were supposed to go to the movies and then call me and I was going to come get you, but you didn't. You did what you thought was best, what you thought was wise. You carried out your purposes with the talent. Therefore, what you have will be taken away from you. Now, it's, we don't fully know what's going on in the heart of what's described as the wicked servant. We know he was afraid. We know that there's some indication he didn't agree with the master's mission, the master's purposes. Maybe he was even a little bit jealous as he looked around and said, well, how come I only got one? You gave five to him and two to her, and I got one? I don't know, have you ever been there where you looked at what others had and your, your envy or your jealousy caused you to say, you know what, if, if you'll give me more, God, then I'll be more generous. We don't really fully know what's going on in this man's heart, but we know that at the end, he's declared as a wicked servant. Here's the point. Principle number three. I have been entrusted to manage God's money for God's mission. God's money God's mission, not God's money for my mission. God's not funding your mission. He's funding his mission through you. Part of his mission is that you would bring a portion of that back to him. Part of his mission, part of his purpose for providing for you is that you meet your legal obligations. When you do those things, you're actually worshiping God. Think about that when you pay taxes next time. Think about what it would be like if you didn't have the money to pay your taxes. You have it. Be thankful. Worship God in that moment. I get to pay taxes here. 
paying off your debt. Like consider that an act of worship. God's provided this $75 or this $200 or whatever that is. It's an act of worship. As you go to the grocery store, it's an act of worship. You're participating in what God has intended for you to do. Should you live in such a way and manage in such a way that you've got some left over to enjoy and you give it away or you invest it and save it or you go on vacation, do that as an act of worship. Think about that. Next time you sit down with your financial advisor, right? You look at your portfolio. Let your heart well up in worship for God's goodness to you. I have been entrusted with God's money for God's mission. Principle number three. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to, in just a moment, we're going to hear um, a testimony from one of our families. Um, our worship team is going to come back up and lead us in responding, either singing or staying seated or praying. We'll have prayer partners at the front and the back. Um, if you're here today and, and you're not a Christian or you're not sure if you're a Christian, um, I want you to come grab one of our prayer partners and, and talk with them and, and, and just ask them, hey, tell me, how do I become a Christian? Let them talk with you and pray with you. If you want to stand and sing and just spend some time worshiping God, I want you to be free to do that as well. Let me ask a couple of reflection questions. I'll lead us in prayer. We'll watch a video testimony, and then we'll respond. How are you doing at investing the master's resources? That's not a question you need to answer to me, okay? Something that, that's between you and God. How are you doing at managing, stewarding your master's resources? What mission is being furthered by the way that you're stewarding those resources? Have you, maybe like me, struggled from time to time, maybe even right now with, with envy or jealousy of what others may have? You look at the person who got the five talents, you're like, gosh, I wish I had five talents. I'd be a lot more generous. Maybe, maybe that's where you are. Do you trust God's intentions? Do you trust his intentions enough to invest in his mission? And this final question, are you truly willing to live all in for the mission of Jesus? Because it's so much more than money. It's just a drop in the bucket of the conversation, what it means to follow Jesus all in. You lead us in a time of prayer. Um, Father, we bow right now in gratitude. Father, we asked you to speak to us today, and I believe in faith that you've done that. And some of us have heard clearly, others of us are still struggling to, uh, to, to understand what it is that you're saying or you're prompting us to do, but God, I believe you have spoken today. And so now, God, we want to ask that you would guide our hearts to respond. For the person who is not a Christian, who is not trusted in Jesus, I pray that today would be that day, they would take that step of faith, Trust Jesus as their Savior. Father, in, in whichever way you should choose, would you guide us now to respond to your voice? Father, we pray all this in the name of Jesus.